0: Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News, Russia-Ukraine war podcast. The show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Thursday, May 4th, 2023. It's been 3,354 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 435 days since the large scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia Ukraine War. The Malcontent News Russia Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, Some housekeeping. The map is back online. Nice. Also, a quick errors and omissions. Yesterday, we reported that an airbase in occupied Berdyansk was hit by up to five drones, damaging an inoperative AN-124. Except the attack was on the Sescha military airfield in Bryansk, Russia. It was a transcription error, and honestly, the best corrective measure would be for everyone on the team to get more sleep. We thank you for your understanding. But let's go ahead and get started with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, Ukrainian forces have started shaping operations on multiple axes in preparation for larger offensive operations. Second, long-range weather models indicate that ground conditions will be favorable for larger offensive operations using armor and mobility by May 10th. Third, Ukrainian forces continue to set conditions to complete retrograde operations in Bakhmut, and end their defense of the city. Fourth, operational tempo has slowed throughout the theater of war, with only 30 Russian attacks on May 3rd. Fifth, the Russian Federation armed forces are combat ineffective and have exhausted their combat potential except in the Bakhmut operational area. Sixth, the Russian government likely carried out the drone attack on the Kremlin in an attempt to improve recruitment into the armed forces and maintain internal support for the so-called special military operation. And finally, we assess the risk of a retaliatory missile attack on Ukraine before May 9th as extremely high. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. In the Dvorichna operational area, Russian and Ukrainian sources reported that Russian forces shelled liman for the sixth day in a row. Kharkiv Oblast Administrative and Military Governor Ole Sinyubov wrote, quote, The settlements of Vovchansk, Strelitsha, Dvorichna, liman and others were also under enemy fire. There were no casualties among the civilian population during the day. End quote. Based on repeated reports from multiple sources and Governor Sinyubov's report, We've moved the line of conflict north of Limonpirshi. The situation in the Kupiansk operational area was stable. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. Fighting was limited on the Luhansk axis with a significant increase in Russian artillery. Operational Command East, or OKE spokesperson Serhiy Cherevati, reported Russian units fired 565 artillery rounds, mortars, and grad rockets from Dvorichna to Bilohorivka. The situation was stable in the Svatova operational area. In the Kremina operational area, Russian mercenary mill blogger Rybar reported positional fighting in the area of Makayevka with no change in the situation. Russian forces attempted to advance south of Dibrova and were repulsed. We made a small adjustment to the map, moving the line of conflict approximately 300 meters south in the Serebryansky woods. A geolocated video showed Ukrainian forces shelling Russian positions at a semi-improved campground further south than we had previously assessed. In the Lysychansk operational area, Russian forces probed Ukrainian defenses east of Bilohorivka, in Luhansk, using reconnaissance in force, took losses, and returned to their defensive positions. The so-called Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Joint Center for Control and Coordination, reported that two rockets fired by HIMARS hit the occupied city of Olchevsk. In northeast Donetsk, the leader of the private military company, or PMC, Wagner Group, Yevgeny Prigozhin, publicly objected to how the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, executed the Bakhmut Offensive and continues to predict the destruction of his organization, saying, quote, If we evaluate from the side of the enemy—he means Ukraine—then we are engaged in self-torture. It is probably interesting for NATO members to watch from the sidelines how the Russian general staff, with their own and not with Ukrainian hands, is burying an organization, the defeat of which seemed an impossible task to the enemy. The troops were preparing, plans were being developed, but everything turned out to be very simple. It was necessary to find a weak, proud, commander offended creature, which, with a screech, I won't forgive, they practically did all the work for Ukrov. End quote. Quick note Ukrov is a Russian slur for Ukrainians. In an interview, Ukrainian Deputy Minister of Defense Hanna Malyar was asked why Bakhmut was so important for Russia. She responded, quote, They love symbolism and historical parallels. They love to create myths about their victories. All forces, military and propaganda, were thrown into the battle for Bakhmut. For us, Bakhmut is a heroic page of the Russian-Ukrainian war. Even since last summer, no matter how much the Russians threw their forces there, they could not achieve anything. The city is still under our control. And behind the daily news, fighting continues in Bakhmut, is the indomitability and heroism of our soldiers, as well as the round-the-clock work of headquarters and command. End quote. While Bakhmut is the area of the most intense fighting, it has transitioned into intense positional fighting and artillery duels. There are growing questions about how much combat potential PMC Wagner has left and if the Kremlin will be willing to transfer dwindling reserve forces to the Bakhmut operational area. In our assessment... PMC Wagner is in an operational pause that will end within 24 to 48 hours. NASA fire information for resource management systems, or firms, showed Russian forces intensely shelling the areas of western Bakhmut still under Ukrainian control, and the T 506 Highway Ground Line of Communication, called a GLOC, that's a supply line, near Shromova. Ukrainian forces were shelling Russian GLOCs near Berhivka and north of Opitne. The Russian MOD reported that Russian forces completed 63 fire missions, and Russian Army Aviation and Air Force, or VKS, completed nine close air support sorties. In northern Bakhmut, we move the line of conflict one block south, but believe that fighting continues around Hospital Number 2. In west-central Bakhmut, we move the line of conflict west to Tchaikovsky Street at the Medical University. An unusual video shows a lone civilian walking down the center of Tchaikovsky at the medical college with no apparent fear of artillery or snipers. As with most of the photos and videos we reference, we do link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. PMC Wagner reportedly took back control of the industrial college in the southern part of the city with fighting continuing on Kursenskoho Street. Wagnerites continued attempts to advance on Ivanivsky and sever the T-504 highway G-lock. In the Kostyantinivka operational direction, PMC Wagner continued to attack from the Siversky Donetsk-Donbass canal in the direction of Predtechny without success. In southwest Donetsk in the Toretsk-New York operational area, the 1st Army Corps attempted to advance toward New York from Troitske and were unsuccessful. In the Avdeevka operational area, Russian forces exhausted recently accumulated reserves during failed attacks on Avdeevka and Nevelsky, and repeated attempts to tighten their control of the Krasnohorivka Plateau. Because of heavy losses, fighting was limited to the no-man's land between Sieverne and Vodyana to the southwest, attempts by the Russian 1st Army Corps to retake lost positions in eastern Pervomaiske also failed. Commander of the Tavria Front, Joint Defense Force Center, Sergei Telyatitsky, reported that around two companies of Russian troops were lost because of quote, cannon fodder assaults. Light infantry units attempted human wave attack tactics with insufficient artillery support and lacking armored vehicles. In the Marinka operational area, fighting continued along the remains of Druzhry Avenue with no change to the situation. East of Pobida, Ukrainian forces released pictures of themselves at the pig farm, confirming that Russian forces gave up the positions last month. In the Wuhledar operational area, Russian forces attempted to advance on Novomikhailivka, suffered losses, and returned to their defensive positions. A geolocated video from Russian sources showed Ukrainian positions being shelled at night, much further northeast of Novomikhailivka than we had previously assessed. Based on this new intelligence and using terrain analysis, we moved the line of conflict one kilometer away from the settlement. In Russian-occupied Mariupol, insurgents recorded the movement of at least 20 trucks carrying ammunition and three self-propelled howitzers moving in the direction of Manhush. Multiple videos recorded the destruction of a Russian ammunition depot in Mospine, southeast of occupied Donetsk. One video captured the initial blast and several secondary explosions consistent with ammunition cooking off. Reportedly, the blast was near a forward operating base for Russian Army Aviation. Moving on to Zaporizhia. Russian forces completed 102 fire missions on the Zaporizhia line of conflict and conducted one missile attack, three airstrikes, and five UAV strikes. At least two S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack struck Zaporizhia, destroying civilian infrastructure and private homes. There were no casualties reported. During the weekly conference call between International Atomic Energy Agency or IAEA inspectors at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant and the Ukrainian State Nuclear Regulatory Commission, the IAEA Crisis Center reported that Russian occupiers were storing military hardware, explosives, and weapons in Turbine Hall 4, adjacent to the nuclear reactor vessel. Ukrainian state enterprise Enerhoatom released a statement declaring, We emphasize once again, Today, the whole world must join forces to stop the nuclear terror of the Russian Federation, which violates all the norms and requirements of nuclear and radiation safety of the nuclear power plant operation. Therefore, the most important issue should be the application of tough sanctions against Russian nuclear industry enterprises and persons affiliated with them as soon as possible. End quote. The militarization of a nuclear facility beyond reasonable defensive capabilities violates Article 56 of the Geneva Convention. We provided a summary and legal analysis in the August 11, 2022 Situation Report. Nuclear power plants are not supposed to be targeted unless the power plant exclusively provides power to military facilities engaged in war, and there is a feasible way to enter the facility without causing an accident. The rules also state that offensive weapons cannot be stationed at nuclear stations. Defensive weapons to protect the plant and its workers can be deployed but they cannot be used to launch any attacks. If a belligerent uses the grounds or facilities of a nuclear power plant to launch attacks, the protections under Article 56 are terminated, giving a belligerent being attacked the right to defend themselves. Deputy Chief of the Operational Department of the Ministry of Internal Affairs for Kazan, Russia, in the Volga region, Marcel Mubarakshin, was killed in a HIMARS attack in Polkmak on May 1st. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region... Operational Command South, or OKS, reported that the Black Sea Fleet had increased its deployment of eight vessels, including one frigate, to 11 vessels with four frigates capable of launching up to 32-caliber cruise missiles in total. Oleg Kryuchkov, the spokesperson for the Russian occupation officials of Crimea, said two Ukrainian drones were shot down near Feodosia. Traffic was temporarily halted on the Crimean bridge, even for vehicles that had completed screening. Re-inspections were done, and traffic was allowed to move. There was no reason given for the heightened security. In Odessa, 12 iranian sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drones were shot down, with three more striking a college dormitory building. There were no reported injuries. Some drones had, quote, for Moscow and, quote, for the Kremlin scrawled on their control surfaces. In western and central Ukraine, Russian forces targeted numerous civilian locations in Kherson, causing over 70 casualties. Almost all of the related pictures and videos have graphic content that is not suitable for work or for children, and some may find the content disturbing. Often, publicly shared images of casualties have blurred any fatalities. That is not the case in these images. Russian forces pounded free Ukraine on the west bank of the Dnipro executing 98 fire missions using 539 artillery rounds, mortars, drone-delivered IEDs, and indirect tank fire. The city of Kherson was targeted 16 times and hit by 82 munitions, killing 23 and wounding 48, many requiring hospitalization. With the earlier announcement of a looming total curfew for two and a half days starting on May 5th, stores were packed with people buying groceries and fuel. Russian forces shelled the railroad station moments after a train with 116 passengers departed for Lviv. Several carriages were hit, with a conductor injured. An ambulance responding to the shelling at the train station was hit by shrapnel from artillery, disabling the vehicle. The two medics were uninjured, but one pedestrian was killed and three more were severely wounded. The Okko gas station was shelled, leaving the floor caked in blood and covered in shattered glass. A volunteer providing humanitarian aid was refueling his car and was severely injured by shrapnel, recording a short video while waiting for surgery and an intensive care unit bed. The epicenter hypermarket, which is similar to a super Walmart or Auchan, was shelled in the morning, killing three employees and severely injuring four more. Management announced the shopping center would remain closed through the curfew, which will be lifted on May 8th. Three power engineers working to fix damage from an April 28th missile attack were also killed. One of the line workers was injured in a previous attack. Four people were killed and three wounded when the ATB supermarket was shelled. Initially, two were reported dead and five injured, but two people died of their injuries in hospital. Among the wounded were a mother and her child. We can report the child is not among the hospitalized victims that died. At the time of recording, there were multiple reports of, quote, relentless shelling of the ship district, with local officials appealing for residents to remain in shelters and follow the two-wall rule. Quick sidebar, the two-wall rule, according to the Visit Ukraine website, is, quote, you should have at least two walls separating you from the danger, as one will likely collapse on impact and the other will take on the broken wall, window glass, etc. End quote. At least three Fab 500 SE UMPK bombs hit the village of Kizomis, west of Kherson. There were no reported injuries, but the attack damaged or destroyed almost every single home. On a European trip to visit with Finnish, Norwegian, Swedish, Dutch, and German officials, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky condemned the attacks, saying, The world needs to see and know this. A railway station and crossing, a house, a hardware store, a supermarket, and a gas station. Do you know what brings these places together? The bloody footprint that Russia leaves with its attacks, killing civilians in Kherson and Kherson Oblast. As of now, 21 people have been killed, 48 wounded. All civilians. In one incomplete day. In one Oblast. My condolences to the families and friends of the victims. We will never forgive those responsible. We will defeat this evil country and hold all those involved accountable. End quote. In Dnipropetrovsk, the Nikolpol rayon was heavily shelled over a 10-hour period, damaging dozens of homes. Two people were wounded, including an 86-year-old pensioner, and the solar power plant was attacked, damaging 12 panels. <laughs> In north and northeast Ukraine, at least six Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 Kamikaze drones attacked Kyiv, the third attack in a week. Serhiy Popko, head of the Kyiv City Military Administration, said, quote, As a result of the downing of enemy aerial objects in the Shevchenkivsky, Perchivsky, and Podilsky districts of the capital, about ten pieces of debris fell on various streets. As a result, parked cars and road surfaces were damaged. In the Shevchenkiv district, the wreckage of an unmanned aerial vehicle was found in a residential building." End quote. The United States Embassy in Kyiv issued a security alert for a heightened threat of missile attacks in Kyiv and Kyiv oblast. In the Sumi region, the Romadas of Yunakivka, Vorozhba, Seredinabuda, and Bilopilia were hit by mortars and artillery shells. Eleven villages on the Russian border were targeted, with seven artillery shells and six mortars striking Yunakivka, wounding a civilian. Near Vorozhba, five artillery shells were fired from across the international border, destroying a house. On the Russian front, at 0227 hours local time, a kamikaze drone struck the Senate Dome of the Kremlin in Moscow, causing a small fire on the tile roof. A video from a different angle showed that a sustained fire was burning from the first drone strike. Approximately 15 minutes later, as two people were climbing a catwalk toward the top of the dome, a second drone exploded near the flagpole. In the morning, videos and pictures revealed the damage was superficial, with light burn marks and several tiles appearing to have been knocked off the roof. Shortly after the strikes, Russian state media agency RIA Novosti declared, quote, the Kiev regime made an attempt to strike the Kremlin residence of Vladimir Putin with unmanned aerial vehicles. End quote. Later in the day, Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov claimed that Putin was not at the Kremlin or his official residence when the attack occurred. Since 2012, Putin has preferred to work at his residence in Novo Agaryovo. In the minutes after the attack, the Kremlin changed its story at least two times initially claiming that the drones had been shot down and then claiming they had been disabled using electronic countermeasures. The multitude of videos in the public domain, which Russian state media did not share in televised news reports during Evening News on May 3, shows that there were no attempts to shoot down or disable the drones, or efforts were unsuccessful. Peskov declared that, quote, the Russian side reserves the right to take retaliatory measures where and when it deems necessary, end quote. with Russian deputy chairman of the Security Council of Russia, Dmitry Medvedev, calling for the assassination of Ukrainian President Zelensky. In another statement, Peskov blamed the United States for the strike, saying that Washington was behind the attack. Sergei Nikiforov, the spokesman for President Volodymyr Zelensky, said, quote, We have no information about the so-called overnight attack on the Kremlin. However, as President Zelensky has said on numerous occasions, Ukraine is deploying all of its forces and capabilities to liberate its own territories rather than attack the territories of another country. Some of the word choices of the terrorist state are particularly surprising. A terrorist attack is what happened in Dnipro and Uman, where entire sections of residential buildings collapsed. Or the missile that targeted people at the Kramatorsk rail station, which happened in April 2022. Or one of the countless other tragedies. What happened in Moscow is obviously an escalation ahead of May 9th. End quote. Later in the day, while traveling to The Hague in the Netherlands, President Zelensky said, quote, We are not attacking either Putin or Moscow. We are fighting on our own territory, defending our villages and towns. We don't even have enough weapons to do that. That's why we didn't attack Putin. We'll leave that to the tribunal. End quote. In the hours after the attack, Moscow and 35 other regions in Russia issued a blanket ban on the operation of drones. Some assessment here. If Ukraine was behind the attack, it is the first time the Kremlin has been bombed since 1942, and the biggest humiliation for Russian air defenses since Matthias Rust landed a small private aircraft on Red Square on May 28, 1987. In our assessment, it appears highly unlikely that this was a Ukrainian attack. The drones used were small and would require a minimum range of 500 kilometers with the ability to avoid buildings, power lines, and other obstacles in flight. There is no military or political benefit for Ukraine to execute an attack of this type, and to date they have not struck so-called decision-making centers. As our favorite FSB agent, convicted war criminal, Kremlin pariah, failed Mobik, and genuinely terrible person, Igor Strelkov-Girkin, wrote while paraphrasing George Orwell, quote, A good patriot is a terrified patriot, End quote. If this was a political stunt to build additional support for the Russia-Ukraine war, it might have backfired. While Russian talking heads expressed outrage and made bellicose statements, Russian social media users and mill bloggers were suddenly in a 1987 time warp, asking how two drones were able to penetrate Russian airspace to Moscow and strike the Kremlin when it was already under the tightest security measures since 1994. The massive artillery strikes on Kherson and the follow on Shahed 136 drone strikes on Odessa and Kyiv appeared to be a direct response, aligning with the Russian doctrine of targeting civilians and civilian infrastructure. Suppose this was a false flag attack, as we believe it was. Given Russia's limited capabilities due to a critically low supply of precision munitions, we don't believe that this is a prelude to striking decision-making centers in Kiev. Russian combat potential has been exhausted seven months after the September 21st partial mobilization decree. Moscow is trying to mobilize 400,000 fresh troops through volunteer programs and is making little progress. The hope is likely twofold. First, bolster support to continue its war of aggression in the face of a looming Ukrainian offensive, and second, lay the groundwork for Russian society to accept a more aggressive approach to recruitment and mobilization and increased government austerity. In the Krasnodar-Krai region, the Ilsky oil refinery, 150 kilometers east of Kirch, was hit by up to three Ukrainian drones, setting a reservoir of oil products on fire. At the time of recording, the facility was still ablaze. More assessment here. This is the fourth oil storage facility Ukraine has targeted in a week, indicating that this is part of ongoing shaping operations meant to disrupt Russian logistics. Russian forces were already experiencing a shortage of oil tankers before they expanded their war of aggression in February 2022. Undeniably, so-called last-mile logistics for the Russian military have improved significantly in the last 14 months. Still, these attacks may force the Russian military to move fuel storage even further from the line of conflict, creating additional challenges and impacting already limited mobility. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. On May 3rd and into the early hours of May 4th, Russia launched 24 Iranian-sourced Shahed 136 Kamikaze drones, with Ukrainian officials reporting 18 were shot down. At the time of recording, we were able to account for 21 of the 24 drones. Russian forces released a video showing the attack being launched. The Ukrainian National Resistance Center claims Russian officials are planning a false flag action in Bryansk and Kursk to discredit the Ukrainian armed forces. The organization claims that two Russian units have up to 300 Ukrainian uniforms, with planned action in Ivanovskoya in Kursk and Yamnoya in Bryansk. The United States Department of Defense announced another military aid package valued at $300 million. We break it down in the full situation report, but of note, the package includes ammunition for HIMARS, TOW missiles, Demolition munitions and vehicles for heavy equipment transport. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on demand news in your hand?